Greetings. This is Jim McCarty, welcoming you to the LNL Research Podcast in the Now, episode number 65. LNL Research is a nonprofit organization dedicated to freely sharing spiritually oriented information and fostering community. And toward this end has two websites the archive website, llresearch.org, and the community website, bringforth.org. During each episode, we respond to questions sent to LNL Research from spiritual seekers like you. Our panel consists of Gary Bean and Austin Bridges and myself, each of us a devoted student of the Law of One. Your questions allow us to explore the Law of One and related matters of metaphysical interest. We hope only to offer a resource that enhances your own seeking process. Please know that our replies are not final, or not the final word on these subjects. We ask each who listens to exercise his or her discernment and be sensitive to his or her resonance in determining what is true for him or her. If you would like to submit a question for this show, please do so. Our humble podcast relies on your questions. You may either send an email to contact at lnlresearch.org or go to lnlresearch.org forward slash podcast for further instructions. Again, I'm Jim McCarty, and we are embarking on a new episode of LNL Research's weekly podcast in the now. Gary Nelson, are you guys ready to go? I am indeed. And so am I. Okay. Our question today comes from Corey via the email. And he says, I currently work in human services with mentally ill individuals, and I and my coworkers are, of course, there with the intention of serving and bettering the lives of those we work with. On some days, we might be in a poor mood for any number of reasons, either related to the job or not, and on other days, things go great. I know that for me, I make an effort in the direction of prayer, meditation, and tuning so that I can be the best me for whatever the day has to offer. In the event that that still doesn't seem to do too much for me, I can see evidence that I'm not connecting with others or working nearly as harmoniously as in past situations where things just flow well. In this flesh-and-blood illusion, my lower vibration in those moments, so to speak, has a noticeably blunted impact on the quality of my day and that of others. What I'm wondering is whether it looks that way behind the scenes, while, of course, we don't get to see and know the metaphysical implications of things, as is the point of third density, I've been wondering what your thoughts or what those of quos might have to say about our attitudes and well-being and how that can affect the service we attempt to bring forth into our daily experience. So often those channeled mention the value and importance of intention, which often leaves me satisfied with whatever effort I'm able to make, but of course you can never really know. I think back to examples of service and sacrifice where there is clearly great service being performed in the face of outrageously difficult, outrageous difficulty and loss, such as the classic jump on the hand grenade to polarize example. Situations such as this often make me wonder what kind of an impact or value there might be to situations that on the surface seem to be going south. Austin, have you got any ideas about his question? Yeah, I've got some initial thoughts to share. Uh, One thing that I think really stands out to me in Corey's question is this difference between a smaller and a larger perspective. Um, I think that third density tends to attempt to draw our attention into this smaller perspective. Uh, But it seems like a big lesson in third density is to learn to balance between a larger and a smaller perspective. For instance, Corey talks about being in a poor mood some days and a great mood other days. How he's feeling on any given day, I think, is sort of the smaller perspective. 
his question about how things look behind the scenes and the intention behind his actions, I think, is a consideration of that larger perspective, uh, one that shows a deeper and broader scope of how our actions fit into the universe. So I'm not very sure myself about what that balance looks like, but I think that um, contemplating this balance, as Corey is doing, is sort of an indication of being on the path. It's sort of the purpose of being in third density, as Corey hints at. So uh, just to real quickly go over what I might think the balance is, is that the smaller perspective is important, like the feelings and emotions of our individual selves are essential uh, to like the fruits of our beingness. And they're the primary purpose of our incarnation and the uh, experience that we are gathering for the creator. So paying attention to these feelings and contemplating and balancing them helps us to make that uh, journey back to the creator as we are intended, you could say. The larger perspective is important because I think it enables us to see the essential value of that smaller perspective. Without this larger perspective of uh, a metaphysical scene uh, behind our actions and sort of a larger purpose that uh, is much larger than how we feel on the day-to-day basis, um, that perspective gives the smaller perspective a, a purpose. Without it, the, tran- the, the smaller perspective just looks kind of transient and unimportant, and it's more like some sort of thing we are subjected to rather than something we're doing for a purpose. So I think that uh, the larger perspective helps to balance that smaller perspective and give it some real purpose. So uh, essentially, uh, to, I think it's real easy to act good when we feel good, and I think it's real easy to act nasty when we feel bad. So I think acting good, despite how we feel, thanks to the larger perspective we might have, is an indication of making this conscious choice that we're here to make in third density. And I do think it's probably a metaphysically powerful act. But um, I agree with Corey. I think it would be cool to get Kuo's perspective on sort of the, the real metaphysics behind it. But that's what I have to think. Good. That's really good, Austin. Um, Gary, how about you? What you got to say about that? I can really relate to this question because so often I feel like the service that I would like to offer is precluded due to just an inner unhappiness or discontent or or fatigue even or some just kind of static on the line so, so many days. And um, in my own consideration of this question, I've got a, a little bit of that dichotomy that Austin is drawing between larger and smaller perspective, but through the vehicle of an analogy. And um, I think that the the development of the soul during the course of an incarnation, um, especially over the course of many incarnations, is a sort of geological process, you might say. And that geology or Um, Am I saying that correctly? Each of us is a landscape is where where I'm trying to head. And the longer and the more focused and the more purely the intention is sustained towards spiritual evolution and service, the more that your particular landscape is beautified. Uh, You will develop mountains and valleys, uh, rivers, lakes, wetlands, and deserts. Until eventually your inner landscape includes everything, the ocean deeps as well. And through um, 
long-term geological processes, landscapes slowly change over time, but they are enduring. They are long-term portions of who you are. They represent and uh, encode or embody your self-work and your service over long spans of time. Now, a bad mood on any given day might be likened unto the weather. Perhaps you wake up on a particular day with gray skies, or perhaps some event transpires that causes thunderstorms and lightning. And in such cases, yes, the, the sun has been obscured for the moment. The landscape doesn't feel as bright or perhaps even welcoming. And that will probably have an effect upon the onlooker and those you wish to serve. Uh, but you're still bringing this place of beauty to them that represents your work and who you are over a long span of time. You still are who you are. And if the arc or trajectory of your work has been to open your heart and practice forgiveness and accept others, etc., then even on a stormy day, you bring a glorious landscape that reflects the qualities of the Creator however momentarily muted they may seem. And I have a few uh, quotes to share, but I'll share those near to the end or in another round. But back to you, Jim. Okay, that was a good one too, Gary. Um, I would like to congratulate Corey for being very conscientious in his job. Um, I would like to think more people would enter into their work with, well, whatever work they do, but especially with... Uh, mentally ill individuals who need some special care enter into it with prayer and meditation and tuning. I think that's just uh, wonderful. And even on some of those days when you do that, uh, as he says, you're probably not going to be at your best for some reason or other. There is a kind of a ebb and flow of our inner resources and our um, weather, you might say. Gary has a landscape. I think I'll go with weather. <laughs> and... Uh, you don't always have your best uh, foot forward. But I think that is something that we can all learn from, too. I mean, that's what we're here to do, is to make the best of what we're doing with the best of intentions. I, I believe he is very correct with the intentions being the most important part of the process because we can't know what we're doing is correct or incorrect. We can only intend to do the best we can. So with those intentions and... Uh, the preparation through the prayer, meditation, and contemplation, then if you find that things are not quite going well, um, I'm sure he's also done this. I mean, he's obviously analyzed the situation, or we wouldn't have this nice long question here with all these uh, thoughtful comments. So you look at the situation, you realize, well, this is third density. This is the stuff of third density. So how do I um, do a, a little bit better where I seem to fall in short today? And you make some adjustments to your plan. You... Uh, Again, you uh, go through your process of prayer and meditation contemplation, and you, you give it another go. I think it's a good idea to um, give yourself uh, a break and, and, and look at yourself kindly, even and especially when you make mistakes, because you're doing the best you can. That's very obvious to me here, and you need to give yourself credit for that. And knowing that you have mostly done well on on all the days you've been there, then see where the strength was on those days where you did well. See if you can apply it to the day you didn't do so well. Uh, analyze the situation as you're so good at doing 
and uh, try to balance the places that uh, were a little low or inefficient and uh, go back and give it another try. But uh, I say above all, just stick with the plan that you've got because I think you've got a good good thing going here, and I fully support you. Uh, Austin, any secondary comments? Um, I would like to offer the term topography for Gary's analogy. <laughs> I think that might have been what you were searching for, Gary. Yeah. And I th- you also referenced like tectonic geology, so you were still correct. But topography, I think, is a good word. You get the mountaintops and the ocean valleys. Yeah, it's in the ballpark. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm, uh, I don't know if I have any further comments. I was going to make say something about the um, biorhythms and the adept cycle that Ra refers to and how just being in third density in these bodies, um, it is sort of like a weather, but it's more of a predictable weather. So that might be something that Corey could look into. There are some biorhythm calculators online. We have one on bringforth.org and one that also charts that adept cycle, which is sort of for um, spiritual work and spiritual energies. So uh, that might be one reason if Corey's wondering why some days just seem bad. Uh, you could always check out your biorhythms and see which ones are at their bottom and which ones are at their top. And uh, some days when you feel great, maybe they're all at the top. Um, or even go further and try to track these moods yourself and uh, see if there's a pattern that you can discern and uh, get maybe some more um, accurate biorhythms for you specifically. But um, other than that, I think you guys both uh, had really great answers. you have any other thoughts, Gary? Yeah. Um, I think like it's unrealistic to expect that we're going to bring our A game um, to the table every day. Uh, everybody, of course, as we're all repeating, um, has these ebbs and flows. And often people will react to your surface personality, whatever your disposition may be or your the demeanor you're wearing on your face or so forth. But you're always still bringing to the table, to go back to that analogy, this topographical foundation that represents all of your work and not only work but represents your essence. Like that is always there. It's never not there. And that idea links in my head to what Rod describes the Confederation in general, as your most important and profound and powerful service. And that is radiation of, as Ra says, realization of oneness with the Creator. Just radiation of who you are. And um, you can't get in the way of that so much. Certainly, like, a gray sky, again, can uh, mute or dim the uh, landscape. But um, you're, you're always radiating who you are. And uh, the the mentally ill or whoever it is that you wish to serve, um, their being is on one level receiving your being. Um, so the many years and the, and the countless times that you intended to be serve, to be of service and and your hope to be of service and just that fundamental energetic orientation of your being is arriving to that moment with you even if you feel like poop that day or you're just on edge or you just can't work up a smile for anybody else um i mean ideally yes we want to manifest that beingness in joy and cheerfulness and attentiveness to other people but we, we don't always have that and like jim was indicating that's um 
that's highlighting where there's work for you to do too. So there's value in it as well. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't, Ten four. <laughs> <laughs> Over and out. Okay. Over and out. Yeah. Um, I just had one more thought. Uh, Rob recommended a couple of times that if we really want to be of the most service that is possible for another entity, we need to put ourselves in that entity's position and try to become the other entity and see what it is they really need. Now, I'm not so sure how that would apply in this particular situation because you have the health and human services that may have certain protocols that you can and cannot do. But in general, if that's possible, as you're approaching a patient before you go to see the patient, uh, to think of their situation that they're in, uh, what their condition is mentally and physically, um, financially, family-wise, and so forth, and imagine yourself in that position, in that very room, in the, the bed or chair that they occupy, and try to figure out what you would like to have somebody do if they were walking through the door in your position and had the ability and the desire to be of service to you, what is it that you would do? Um, maybe you could also elevate it a bit and become that entity's um, higher self or the soul level of that entity and see what the situation that they are in now might have to offer them where it is a starting point or an intermediary point or an ending point. Try in some way to identify more with the, the, the patient. At some point, you don't, I mean, it, this might be something like a, uh, when new patients are brought into any facility, I know they do uh, a background analysis and they write up their charts and have all their information about their histories and so forth. This might be something that you could do um, one time with each patient and then have a little reminder as you go in there and just try to see if there's any little thing that you could do that might be helpful that perhaps you wouldn't do if you didn't put yourself in their position. Hmm. Any final thoughts from anybody? Um, I like the direction that you're going in sort of a practical, what can we do to help uh, cope with these shifting moods? I was going to say something about how helpful I have personally found a habit of mindfulness to be in that if it's so much easier to pull back to this larger perspective and pull away from a bad mood when you create a habit of it. And especially when you are feeling good and it's easier to, you know, guide your thoughts and direct your attention. Uh, it's if, if you just choose like little things throughout the day to attach to mindfulness. Um, you'd say you walk under a doorway and you make a habit of then coming in and paying attention to your breath and see if you're holding any tension in your jaws and relaxing your shoulders and paying attention to what thoughts might be going through your mind. So often there's just so many thoughts racing through our mind that we're not really paying attention to them. We're just sort of riding this roller coaster of um, charged thoughts and uh, task lists and things to do and things to say to people and things we want to say to people. So if you attach uh, habits to certain things or even just try to get into a habit where it just pops up into your mind naturally, um, which is uh, what I've managed to do somehow, is uh, found a way to become mindful just at m 
constant moments throughout the day, um, maybe once an hour, I will realize that I'm holding this tension in my jaw and I relax it. And I've found this cumulative effect of building that habit where the more and more I pay attention to my thoughts and label them and treat them gently and uh, maybe if they are in the way, set them aside and come back to them later. Uh, and then just pay attention to your body, see how you're holding yourself, see if you're holding tension and uh, just clear your mind and pay attention to your breath for just a few moments, this becomes more of a standard state where you can recognize that you're in a bad mood and you can recognize that things might not be going the greatest that day, but it's easier to not let that affect how you perform throughout the day. And uh, it's just sort of an experience that you can then take uh, your attention to later when you have the time and the energy and... Um, uh, address it then when you aren't in the middle of performing the service throughout your day. Okay, uh, Gary, last thought? Yeah, I'll read a few quotes. Quote says, The greatest sharing that each seeker can make with others is to travel his or her journey with a full heart, with a live compassion, and with a sincere desire to know that which you call the truth. The radiance that comes from within for each seeker so traveling is as a beacon, a light to others that, when they wish to inquire as to the nature of your journey, it is most appropriate to share with them that which you have found. Quote 2. Then take upon yourself the cloak of the shepherd. Take up your crook, and do not count the cost of giving nor begrudge any outcome, but within yourself refine your intentions until they are true, refine and own your perceptions until they do not fail you, and when you offer them, give them away. Support love and set those about you free. With that surrender, you have again entered the Logos, the one original thought. We wish you well upon your journey. Each of you is of service when you know it and when you do not know it. It does not bear analysis after the fact. Work upon your own powers of discrimination and perception, empathy and sympathy and compassion, and most of all, surrender. So that which is the most positive may shine through regardless of how it is seen by the one whom you wish to serve. And finally, quote number three. Know that your basic and most important help is in your beingness itself, in the joy that you take, in the zest, the leaping for joy that you experience as you experience who you truly are. Be not cast down. Be merry, for to be merry in the little things and the big things of mundane existence is to express the nature of love. There is nothing ponderous about love. Ponderous, defined as dull, laborious, or excessively solemn. It is spontaneous and full of light, and you need do nothing to those who do not wish to speak with you, but only be who you are with rigorous honesty, admitting to yourself each time that you jangle and are out of tune moving then from service to others to the preparing of the self until once again love and respect that self, finding that self worthy of being a vessel for the infinite light and love of the one creator. All right, good job. Well, it looks like we've got time to go into the second question if you guys are game. Um, nope, not me. <laughs> <laughs> well, Brett says via email... The primary purpose of forgetting would be the heavy acceleration native six-density catalyst, correct? Therefore, the means to achieve this would be by necessity entail, would by necessity entail finding a planet where a calling is heard. 
Logically, since a wanderer has equal compassion and wisdom, one can say it wouldn't make sense to undergo this kind planetary service. So, uh, why don't we start with the first premise and uh, see what you think about that, Gary. Could you paraphrase the first premise for me? Well, he says the primary purpose of forgetting would be the heavy acceleration native six-density catalyst. Now, for some reason, he seems to think that because you're a six-density wanderer that you would have different catalysts. And he seems to be saying throughout his question that the purpose for coming into incarnation is to work with your catalyst on a planet where a calling is heard and this catalyst could be offered. Huh. Uh, the purpose of the um, forgetting is not designed for the wanderer. Rather, the wanderer must undergo this forgetting that is unique um, and intentional for third density if I were to attempt a reply. And um, that purpose of the forgetting is that so that the entity, and I fall back to Ra's poker analogy, um, let me take a step back, without the forgetting, the entity would know always that all things are one, that um, there is total security, that there is no, nothing that is ever threatening. Ra says of that condition that there is no pain too terrible or love too great to motivate people. So you're in a, a state of constant contentment and um, all is well. And uh, Ra said that was actually the case at the beginning of this octave, that there was no forgetting. Their density entities were aware constantly. But in that state, they weren't doing their homework. They weren't learning the vibrational lessons of third density and graduating unto fourth. So the uh, Logoi um, instituted an experiment called the veil, which would separate the conscious from the subconscious and uh, facilitate a forgetting. And and in that experiment, they didn't know what the outcome was or what the experience would be, but they implemented this veil and said, let's see what happens, basically. Let's roll the dice. Uh, <laughs> maybe it wasn't as so haphazard as that. I'm sure they put some forethought into it. But um, And then the third density, as we knew it, was beginning to be born, and one unanticipated outcome of that was polarity, that um, not only did entities forget, but they could consciously uh, proceed along a path of evolution of falsity, of omission of love. And then that polarity between the newly discovered service to self-path and the service to other acted like a battery where these two polarities, um, uh, what's the word, I'm, like engendered each other, powered each other, motivated each other, gave each other purpose and reason to uh, want to excel and to grow. And um, I did not have this question in front of me, and I was serious when I said I, I didn't want to um, <laughs> go into it. But since you've asked it, that's why my reply is this sprawling sort of overview of uh, the veil. So um, that is essentially the value of the forgetting, so that we are born into third density and uh, by faith alone find our way to the truth, which is, at least on the surface, hidden from us and it does as a byproduct have a value to the wanderer because the wanderer is in a non-veiled condition progress is very very slow and tedious and harmonious for the service to others entity so the wanderer then incarnates in this third density environment and um 
can greatly accelerate their own progress because this is a, a much, much, much more intensive illusion than their native um, vibration. And they can kind of remake the choice all again and work on balances and stuff. But uh, back to you, Jim. <laughs> okay, Gary, good job. Uh, Austin, what do you think about this uh, first, uh, his postulation here of why we're here as a wanderer? Um, first, I would like to say that we should make it more of a habit to ask questions that Gary is not ready for. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I really enjoyed it. was sort of um, a prologue to an epic fantasy novel or something. I don't know, like the way that you described the implementation of the veil. It was very sort of um, narrative driven. It was really cool. I like that a lot. Huh, thank you. Um, Luckily, I was somewhat prepared for this answer because I corresponded with Brett. So I have a couple of uh, raw quotes that I think will clarify his thought. This thing that he says is the primary purpose of forgetting, being the acceleration of what he calls sixth density catalyst. So I'll share the quotes and um, pass it back. Actually, I have some more thoughts too, but the first one comes from session 36 where Ra says, The wanderer has the potential of greatly accelerating the density whence it comes in its progress and evolution. So I think that's one of the things that Brett is referring to. Uh, they go on to say, This is due to the intensive life experiences and opportunities of the third density. Thusly, the positively oriented wanderer chooses to hazard the danger of the forgetting in order to be of service to others by radiating love of others. If the forgetting is penetrated, the amount of catalyst in third density will polarize the wanderer with much greater efficiency than shall be expected in the higher and more harmonious densities. So that quote might be what Brett was referring to, but I would like to point out that Ra uses the words they choose to hazard the danger of forgetting in order to be of service to others by radiating love of others. They don't say that they are incarnating in order to polarize. They say that the polarization is possible when they incarnate. And then there's one more that is really illuminating in this regard. It comes from session 52. Uh, Don asked, uh, well, I would just include the question as to why time of harvest is selected by so many wanderers as time for incarnation. And Ra says, I am Ra. There are several reasons for incarnation during harvest. They may be divided by terms of self and other self. The overriding reason for the offering of these brothers and sisters of sorrow is incarnative states in incarnative states is the possibility of aiding other selves by the lightening of the planetary consciousness distortions and the probability of offering catalysts to other selves, which will increase harvest. So again, the overriding reason there is service to others and not for polarization of the self. Their intent is genuine to help others. This polarization is a byproduct. They go on to say, there are two other reasons for choosing this service which have to do with the self, which is what Brett was talking about. The wanderer, if it remembers and dedicates itself to service, will polarize much more rapidly than is possible in the far more etiolated realms. Is that how you say that? Etiolated. Etiolated realms of a higher density catalyst. The final reason is within the mind-body-spirit totality or the social memory complex totality, which may judge that an entity or members of a societal entity can make use of third-density catalyst to recapitulate a learning, teaching, 
which is adjudged to be less than perfectly balanced. This especially applies to those entering into the proceeding through entering into and proceeding through sixth density wherein the balance between compassion and wisdom is perfected. So those two secondary reasons are what he was talking about. The primary reason that uh, wanderers incarnate is the intent to serve. And I think that that's a really important point because I think the intention behind actions is what gives the actions polarization. If you are uh, serving somebody because you are worried about your own polarization and you want to essentially help yourself by helping somebody else. I don't think that that is uh, as necessarily pure service to others as it would be if you were helping somebody for the sake of helping somebody. The polarization, I think, is a byproduct of that and not the goal. That's what I have to say. Oh, very good, Austin. Well, I would just uh, underline what you said. I think that uh, we need to remember Anybody who feels that he or she might be a wanderer, that the primary reason we are here is to be a service to others. And Rob mentioned one point that um, being of service to others also results in service to self of necessity. It's uh, since we are all one and all other selves are ourself, when we are serving others and we are being served too. Now, that's in a general sense, but and what Austin was talking about, the last two things that Ra had to say about how we can actually have specific personal uh, lessons that we can learn while we're here is also true. Uh, I think that that, though, has to be kept in uh, perspective with the larger reason why we're here. So what do you say we take the second sentence then, and therefore the means to achieve this would be, would by necessity entail finding a planet where a calling is heard? What would you think about that, Gary? By necessity, it sounds like the second one extends the logic of the first, which um, I believe we didn't quite agree with. Um, it posits that the wanderer is looking around for opportunities in the galaxy and saying, where can I um, continue to polarize where can i work on myself more and okay that planet looks great is that what he's uh he's saying that sounds to me like what he's saying yeah, yeah and i i think uh, as we have discussed it's our understanding that that's not the case the wanderer um goes only to that place where there is a call for service and that particular wanderer or a group of wanderers feel that they may respond to that particular call it's interesting to consider what that mechanism might be uh, regarding the call and the wanderer hearing that call and saying, aha, I have this skill set to meet this particular need or, you know, or I know somebody who does and I'll get them on the line, <laughs> you know, whatever. But that's my thoughts. Okay. Uh, good job. Austin, how about you? Anything to add to that? Um, maybe really quickly. And I don't think Brett is completely off the mark. I think we disagree with his um, supposition that that is the intention of wanderers, but I do think that you could say that the creator, in a larger sense than just that individual entity, uses this um, calling of service, this call to service, as a mechanism to get the entities to polarize. The creator wants us to polarize. The polarization seems to me to be the primary way that the creator experiences itself. It's like somehow or for some reason the whole goal of all of this incarnation so the creator probably um put this or 
somehow this mechanism is in place to get us to polarize. But I don't think that that's the perspective that the individual necessarily takes. I think that's sort of a premature perspective. The um, more, I guess, I don't like the word proper, but maybe the more pure intention or the more pure perspective is to um, intend to serve others and then because of that polarize. And, uh, yeah, basically the same thing we just talked about. Okay, very good job. Um, I'm reminded of the regression that uh, Carla did back in um, 73 or so, along with Morris Hoagland and his sister Beth and Carla's best friend Sally. And uh, all of this was being done for Secrets of the UFO Chapter 8 on Wanderers. And Carla was recalling how she was on the home planet. And the word had just been received, basically, by this group that their next assignment had been determined and that it was a planet called uh, Terra or Earth and that uh, things were rather difficult here and they kind of were given um, an overview of the situation and uh, Carla said, oh, this is going to be fun. Hmm. Th- th- that, let's, let's go. Let's all go together and let's help these folks. And uh, so that's basically what happened. But then after... <laughs> Everyone got here, and they did the regressions, and they talked with each other. They kind of looked at Carla and said, so is this fun yet? Because <laughs> <laughs> this is, you know, as it's getting a little more difficult as time goes on. But uh, I think that's, you know, from a, a perspective of uh, being on a home planet for a wander, it may look like a challenge that this planet provides would be fun or something that you would want to undertake because wanders do want to be of service with all their hearts, minds, bodies, souls, and spirits. I mean, that's why they're there. That's the way they learn. Uh, you don't go to a school somewhere and learn how to you know, be a better wanderer. You go and help those who are not as far along as you are. So uh, this this planet here is giving all of us a real chance to learn. Why do you say we take the last one then? Logically, since a wanderer has equal compassion and wisdom, one could say it wouldn't make sense to undergo this kind of planetary service. Austin, you seem to have a better grasp on what he's uh, thinking about. What do you what do you think about what are you thinking about here? <laughs> um, since the wanderer has equal compassion and wisdom, one could say it wouldn't make sense to undergo this kind of planetary service. Um, on, I don't I don't think we can actually get into that because I don't follow his logic necessarily. Even based on his own suppositions, I don't know if that's the logical conclusion that it wouldn't make sense. So um, I wish I could offer something, but I might have to pass on that. Okay, Gary, you want to take a stab? I think like the way I hear it, and Brett, I could be wrong um, in, in interpreting your question, but the way I hear it is uh, he... Uh, elevates the wanderer to a being who has um, achieved enlightenment or mastered um, all things and has uh, ho- holds this perfect balance of love and wisdom. And um, I think that does not do justice to the journey of the soul in any density on any level. And that journey in that there is no um, finish line and, and the journey is always ongoing and there's always room for development and to know the self deeper and to know the creator more truly and, and so on and so forth. So the wanderer has their own work to do and um, that work uh, is 
of learning love in fourth density and learning wisdom in fifth density and then balancing those two in sixth density. So um, Ra indicated that most wanderers are of sixth density, so they are in the thick of doing precisely that work of balancing love and wisdom. And um, as we discussed earlier, one of the secondary or tertiary, rather the tertiary reasons of coming to earth is that it allows them a more intensive opportunity to do that balancing. So actually they don't arrive, um, presumably most of them don't with having wisdom and love already perfectly balanced and they have no further work to do. And they're, you know, just here to emanate their perfection. Rather they're here, um, first and foremost to serve, but also to work on themselves and on that, uh, balance so that come time that their mission is completed, they return home and, um, they have gained something. They've learned something. They've hopefully, ideally, um, brought greater balance between love and light or love and wisdom. Uh, Ra describes themselves as naive and how they've interacted with humanity. I think that speaks to hmm. what you're saying. Is they might not necessarily have had the balance of love and wisdom and um, that necessitated further interaction, which was probably part of a, a bigger grand scheme, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Just by the... Just through interaction with us alone, even without uh, sending wanderers here, <laughs> we have apparently given them an opportunity to balance love and wisdom. Yeah, yeah. I think that there are probably very few wanderers who actually do have a balance between love and wisdom because even if you make it to the sixth density level, that's what you're doing there. And it doesn't mean that you've done it because you're there. Uh, I think the quality that uh, Ross said was very important was uh, – uh, you could either call it foolhardiness or bravery, depending upon your point of view, uh, that it takes a good deal of uh, stamina and courage and will to come here and to be willing to go through the forgetting and then subject yourself to the conditions of Earth, which are most disharmonious, especially in comparison to the wanderer's home planet, and then try to work through that disharmony in a manner that is of service to others and maybe also secondarily would help you in your own personal growth. So um, any final thoughts on the question? Just a quick comment on your bringing up of the foolhardiness slash bravery statement by Ra. And um, I consider their, the numbers that they gave in the early 80s. Don asked about what percentages of wanderers have awoken to their status of being from elsewhere. I think that was just the question. And Ra gives three categories of percentages. But when you add them all up, um, the the result is that the majority of wanderers, at least at that time, do not wake up. Maybe that's changed since. But um, it speaks to the to the foolhardiness, bravery of the decision, knowing that um, statistically speaking, if you go to this planet, chances are you're um, not going to wake up. You're going to forget who you are and your mission and, and your service and may even, as Ra indicated, become karmically involved. But that's it for me. Okay. Austin, a final thought from you? Um, we are running a little late, but I wanted to share something real quick about that foolhardiness. And, Jim, you are saying earlier how incarnating as a wanderer might even seem fun from a certain perspective. Like, that is so far outside of our third density perspective <laughs> that it's hard to imagine. But I have heard it compared to a roller coaster before where you're at the peak of the roller coaster, you start to go downhill and you're thinking, what in the world 
did I do this for? Why am I up here? And why <laughs> am I essentially terrifying Screw myself? This. But then you get to the end of the roller coaster and you're all pumped up and you get right back in line because you just want to do it again. <laughs> so I've, I've heard that analogy before. And then um, you shared Carla's regression. And I had an experience myself that I uh, just feel like I'd like to share. Um, and that's a while ago, a few years ago, I was uh, sort of went into a mystical state where I had a vision. And I don't know if this was something that I experienced or if it was just some experience that was being given to me and that I was uh, with a whole bunch of other beings. We were essentially made of light and I would even um, compare it to like a field of grass, just how many of their how many of us there were. And we were waiting in anticipation for a sort of um, response or an approval to our request to go be of service somewhere. And at that moment, the approval for us to go do that came in. And there was this overriding joy, just like it was one of the uh, biggest feelings of joy that I felt in my life in this experience, this um, mm. Uh, when there was this approval for us to go and help and respond to this call that was being uh, um, uh, given to us and just the, our ability to do that in this certain way that I think was incarnating as wanderers um, was this overriding joy. It was just so happy to go and, and help and have this opportunity to be of service. It was a really interesting experience. Quickly, in reply to that, the Confederation does use the word privilege um, now and then when they speak about the wanderer's ability to be here on earth, especially at this time of harvest. And it connects to the joy that you felt, too. It is a, is a privilege from that perspective, apparently. Mm -hmm. And on that note, I believe we shall end our broadcast. That was a really good analysis, guys. You've been listening to LL Research's biweekly podcast, In the Now. If you've enjoyed the show, please visit our websites, llresearch.org and bringforth.org. Thank you so much for listening, for supporting this podcast with your questions, and a special thank you to Brett and Corey for their questions featured in this episode. If you'd like to hear us ramble on about a particular topic, please read the instructions on our page at llresearch.org forward slash podcast. New episodes are published to the archive website every other Wednesday afternoon. We hope you all have a wonderful two weeks until we see you again. We love you all very much. Please pass the love around. We all need it. Have a wonderful couple of weeks. We'll talk with you then.